Well, it is easy to look at these closing remarks and say, um, yeah, let's just get on to the next book, right? I mean, it's kind of like when you, when you write a long letter to a friend and you, you address some very important topics and then you quickly switch gears and say, hey, give your folks my best. Tell, tell Aunt Mabel I can't wait to have some of her apple pie at Thanksgiving. I mean, you do it to sort of round things out, but it's not like that's the reason you wrote the letter, right? Is that what's going on here? I don't think so. Certainly we have salutations, greetings, but what we have here at the end of this letter is the exact same thing that Paul has been doing throughout this epistle of 2 Timothy. He's telling Timothy to to stand firm, to protect and deliver the message, to entrust these truths to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Don't grow weary in well-doing, but preach the word in season and out of season. For the time will come when people will want to have their ears tickled, literally their ears scratched. But this time he's going to deliver this message in a very personal manner. He's going to use himself as an example. Certainly he's going to encourage Timothy... But what sounds very personal about Paul is actually about Timothy. He's going to show him, while identifying with him, all the reasons why he should minister to someone else. You've experienced this. You've gone through a tough time. Someone can tell you all the right things to do and and all the right ways to think. But sometimes it's not till you actually see someone who's gone through the same thing, but that is a couple of steps ahead of you, that you get it. You know what I mean? There's that identification. Oh, he's been through this. He's seen this come down the pike before. He's endured this and he didn't quit. I get it. That's what Paul's going to do today. Like a good coach, he's going to give Timothy the opportunity to quit licking his wounds, to take his eyes off himself. Certainly he's going to identify with his pain, but he's going to show him that he, Paul, has been in a situation that is much worse, and yet he has fought the good fight. He has endured until the end. So we have this wonderful combination of identification and exhortation, and it's all done within the realm of personal experience. He said what he's needed to say in this letter. Now he's going to show him. It is masterful discipleship. In Paul's final words, we have, Come soon, Timothy. Hurry up. Come see me soon. I need you, Timothy, and guess what? You need to come and minister to me. Ministry is lonely, and ministry is a daily battle. But guess what, Timothy? You, who are in so desperate need of a friend, 
can actually be a friend to me. That's what you need most right now. I want to show you that you're not alone in this. And this is a great task to which we have been called. Paul says, I know, I've experienced it. Now, though this letter is specifically written to pastors and elders, you do realize that if you're a believer here today, you are in ministry. We want to cast aside this 20th century notion that um, you are who you are by where you get your paycheck. It's crazy. Paul didn't always get a paycheck. In fact, he was a tent maker for a lot of his ministry. No, no, no. If you've been called to be a Christian, then you have been called to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. You've been called to be in ministry. You may not be able to give 40, 50, 60 hours a week to it, but you can give it priority in your life. You have been given a divine gift. Do you realize when you became a believer, a bunch of things happen at regeneration. When you turn from your sin and self-worship, when you repent and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you are given a gift. And it is not so that you can brag about being good at it, but it is so that you can then put yourself within the local body of our Lord Jesus Christ and you can serve her and you can help people know Jesus Christ and grow to be like him. So whether your gift is hospitality or mercy or administration or teaching or one of the other ones, you've been given a gift to help people grow in their faith. So you are in ministry. And so this text is for you as well. And the more you are in ministry, the more you will realize, can I just say, the pains of ministry. What's Timothy feeling here? I would say right at the top of the list, he's feeling extreme loneliness. He feels like he's going crazy. I've been at this post for several years now, and I still have this heresy that just has permeated the body. I still have these, these well-known teachers that I cannot get rid of that have a, a much greater influence over the sheep than I do. I can't get beyond my youth. People don't respect me. He's tired. He's alone. He feels like he's going crazy. And he feels like he's the only one who's ever gone through this. Can I share with you that the more you grow in your faith, the more you will grow in commitment to ministry, the more you will endure the pain that comes with it. Three points will guide us to the finish line today. And I've titled these three points starting with ministry instead of simply just the pastorate because I want us to make application Ministry is lonely, number one, but you can be a friend with the Word. Ministry is lonely, but you can be a friend with the Word. Number two, ministry is a battle, but the Lord is our strength and safety. And number three, again, ministry is lonely, 
but God gives us co-laborers, and he is our closest friend. I'll repeat those as we go through. I remember the first time I, I read this, I thought, what, what am I going to do with this text? <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like there's just bullet point after bullet point and sentence after sentence, and, and, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia, and Demas, having loved this present world, is like, you know, on and on and on. But it's actually a lot more cohesive than we realize at first glance. And I'll tell you the reason I like it. It's for the same reason I like biographies. I like reality. I love we watched a movie the other day, and it said, based on a true story. And what I just sit up, you know. I like that a lot. If, if it had said fiction, I'd been like, mm, sorry. I, I know I probably offend a lot of you who are into Marvel comics and all that other stuff. It doesn't do it for me. But real stories... That, that does it for me. And in these greetings, in these final remarks, we've got real stories of real lives that you will really meet when you get to heaven. And it is just as profound today as it was to Timothy, sitting in Ephesus in a difficult, lonely situation. And when he heard these names, they meant something. And it helped him realize, I'm not alone, and I'm not going crazy. And yeah, ministry is hard, but life is short, and eternity lasts a long, long time. Can I get an amen there? All right. Well, let's look at this. Ministry is lonely, but you can be a friend with the Word. It, just to encourage you in all this, I'm preaching to myself this morning because I've had these same exhortations over the years. And I'm probably slower in learning than I should be. And so um, I'm excited, even though I'm preaching it, I'm excited to hear what the Word of God says on this because I need this desperately. Verse 9, make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Demas, Crescens, Titus, Luke, Mark, Tychicus. What gives with all these names? I mean, who would actually spend time preaching on this? Well, someone who wanted to be faithful to the text because all scripture is inspired by God, right? And profitable. This is amazing what he does here. Watch this. We know for sure how badly Paul longs to see Timothy. I don't know that there was anyone who was closer to him. In his first epistle, he calls him my true child in the faith. In 2 Timothy, he starts out by saying, My beloved son, he loved this boy like his own. I say boy, he's probably 40, 40 some odd years old here. But as he nears death, as he can see the executioner in the coming months coming into view, he wants one guy to be with him. He wants to see Timothy again. Now, I know it's for personal reasons, but I also know it's for ministerial reasons. Timothy, by God's grace, is going to have several more decades in him, and he needs to be equipped. 
He needs his, his spiritual papa to talk to him, to encourage him. But Paul could also use some comfort and encouragement. In bearing this burden of loneliness in this underground prison cell, Paul is actually going to use it as an opportunity to build up Timothy. Let me say that again. Through Paul's pain of loneliness, he's actually going to encourage Timothy in his loneliness. Through Paul's pain of ministerial rejection, he is actually going to encourage Timothy in his. Through Paul's experience of complete and utter desertion, he's going to be able to say, Timothy, this is what we signed up for, brother. And yet I know it's painful. I've been there. So it's this wonderful combination. But let's look at Paul's situation and how he is first able to identify with him. He starts off with one that is just brutal. Demas, having loved this present world, translation, has punted the faith, has deserted me. He's ghosted me when I needed him the most. Now, this would be fine if we didn't know who Demas was. But we do. Paul's written about him. Demas was a faithful co-worker. Paul refers to him in Colossians and in Philemon as a fellow worker, putting him right on par with Dr. Luke. But when he says here that he has deserted him, that, that literally means to leave someone helpless in a dire situation. It's, it's the same translated Greek word from Psalm 22 that Christ echoes from the cross and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou deserted me? It's that, it's that feeling of, Demas, we've worked together. We've traveled together. We've ministered together. We've shared the same room together. We've eaten the same meals together. We've been rejected together, and now you've left me? Why? Why? Paul has no qualms about explaining why. What is it? Look at the text. Having loved this present world. I don't think we have to guess what that is. I, I don't think Demas wanted to be identified with Paul anymore. I don't think he, he wanted the idea of, of, of prison time from being connected with him. I think he got tired of his reputation being trashed. I think he got tired of the rejection being spat upon. Frankly, I, I, I think he missed home. He says he went back to Thessalonica. That was his home. This ministry stuff's too hard. I miss three squares. I miss a regular paycheck. I miss vacations. I miss being liked. I think he went home, hung out with his high school friends. Felt good about himself. But the picture here is that he left the faith, that he apostatized. 1 John 2.15, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This hurt Paul deeply. And yet it didn't determine him. Ministry would go on. His world is not wrapped up in Demas. 
and yet it was painful. You can see he's already teaching Timothy. Timothy, you've been rejected. I've been deserted. Timothy, I know you're lonely. I've felt this pain. Ministry will go on. And then he goes through a list of other guys. Guys who haven't deserted him, but, but have had to leave because there is ministry to be done. There's a duty. We don't know anything about Crescens from Scripture, but he was clearly a faithful and trusted servant, and he was sent to Galatia. Tradition holds that he planted churches in modern-day France and eventually became the bishop of Chalcedon. We don't know, but there's a good chance that that may be true. Titus, we know him, don't we? The same fellow from his well-known epistle. The one that Paul left in Crete to, you remember? To set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. And here he sends him to, to Dalmatia, which is on the east side of the Adriatic. It's Bosnia, Herzegovina, and, and Croatia today. Tychicus, he was a faithful messenger in delivering Paul's letters to Ephesus and Colossae. And here, this is interesting, he's being sent to relieve Timothy so that he can come. So in reading all these names, yes, there's pain and desertion, there's loneliness, and he identifies with him, but guess what? There's also other co-laborers who are out in the field, Timothy. Timothy, come soon. Only Luke is with me. I feel your loneliness, but I want you to see the bigger picture. And so he starts to reshape Timothy's focus. Now look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Timothy, as you are lonely and have been rejected, so too have I, but in a greater way. But guess what, Timothy? You can be a friend to me. So bring me the basics. Winter's coming. I've seen that Mamertine prison. It's cold. Water drips from the street. There's not much light. Paul's old. I'm sitting here on this wet stone floor. Bring me a cloak. It's describing a heavy woolen poncho, the hole in the center. He could have asked for anything, right? Hey, take up a collection and bring me some of my, my favorite food and some nice clothes. What does he ask for? Bring me the basics. I'm cold. And bring me the Bible. Look where it says, and the books, especially the parchments. These books were most likely papyrus scrolls containing Old Testament books. And the parchments were animal vellum, possibly copies of his letters, possibly empty sheets that he could write on. And in his last days, he simply wants to be warm. Give me the basics and give me my Bible. You come, minister to me, but this is what I need. This is not home for me, but this is what I need to endure to the end. 
you know, when William Tyndale was thrown into prison for translating the Bible, he wrote saying, quote, send me for Jesus' sake a warmer cap, something to patch my leggings, a woolen shirt, and above all, my Hebrew Bible. There's one other thing he wants, too. Bring me a friend. Verse 11, pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Now, you've got to realize how amazing this is here. This is John Mark, okay? John Mark from Jerusalem. Remember on the first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas, Mark, about halfway through, Mark's like, yeah, this is way too tough, and he took a greyhound home. He said, I'm done. Second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas get together. Barnabas says, hey, let's bring Mark again. <laughs> and Paul says, are you kidding me? He was a total flake last time. No, I don't have time to be nursemaid. We're not going to do it. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that Barnabas took Mark and Paul took Silas. And that's how it ended, right? Fast forward 20 years. Paul is about to die. He's about to be executed. I want to pour into my young disciple Timothy one more time. I'd like a little warmer coat. I want my Bible, and I want one to, someone to stay with me. Bring me Mark. Doesn't that blow your mind? Above all else, he wants Mark. A fellow worker, he calls him, in Philemon. And by the way, if Timothy was able to make it and then left and went back to minister, who are the two guys left with Paul? Just a side note here that end up being with him until he dies. Dr. Luke and Mark. Two of the four gospel authors. Timothy, your loneliness is real as is mine. But the best thing you can do right now is come and be a friend to me and bring me the word. You know, I remember going through a particularly difficult time and your former associate pastor and elder Mike Newman was, was always just this salt of the earth encouragement. And I remember distinctly saying on a couple of occasions, Mike, I just, I feel like I don't have I don't have any friends. Now, you've all said that before. And, and then what do your friends and family members say to you when you say, I don't have any friends? They either say, well, that's not true. You have lots of friends, which doesn't make you feel any better. Or they say, well, I'm your friend. And then now you're in a catch-22 because what are you supposed to say? That's not enough. <laughs> right? Mike didn't say either. You know what Mike said to me? Well, Rod, you can be a friend to others. That was so faithful. You're right. You may not have any friends right now, or it may feel like that. But I want to change your perspective. You can be a friend to someone. That is the best thing Timothy can do right now. That is the best cure for his loneliness. In fact, ask yourself, 
when you are feeling sorry for yourself, even if your circumstances are all very real and all very, very painful and you genuinely are lonely, go be a friend to someone. Go encourage someone, especially someone who's worse off. Look at our second point. Ministry is a battle, but the Lord is our strength and safety. Verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Now, whoever this Alex fella is, we don't really know, it's very possible that he either lived in Rome or perhaps traveled to Rome to make life a living Hades for Paul. Okay? He could have very well been the snitch that got him arrested. And many theologians believe that he actually stood with the prosecution at his first trial. Paul says, watch out. Timothy, word is going to be on the street that you're making your way to Rome to visit me. Watch out for this guy. He's going to be after you. But ministry is not only a battle against adversaries. Frankly, even your friends can disappear when the chips are down. Look at verse 16 again. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. In the Roman legal system, first offense was called a, a prima actio. Uh, it's like a pre-trial. It's a discovery trial. It's where uh, charges are uh, assigned. Uh, something like our grand jury today. Paul ends up in Rome. And what he needs most are character witnesses. Oh my goodness, this should be easy, right? Three missionary journeys... Countless churches planted, specifically the church at Ephesus. They will come through. No question about it, right? I mean, he planted that church with Priscilla and Aquila. Timothy is their pastor there now. I've got a direct link. They're coming. Wrote the letter, I'm sure. Hey, send as many, many guys as you can. We'll provide lodging. Let's do what we can do. Do you know how many showed? Guys, to put this in real terms, and many of you have been here 10, 12, 13 years, this would be like if I was thrown in jail, was sent to Austin, okay, for trial, and all I asked, would, would anyone come and just be a character witness? And no one comes. I want to cry for Paul. This is not just your average preacher who didn't care. This is Paul, the apostle, who spent time in Ephesus, who loved on this body, who baptized so many. And no one comes. Timothy, you think it's tough? You think you're having to deal with some difficult people? At least they're hearing your sermons. No one even came to visit. You can see why Spurgeon said regarding the pastorate, if there's anything else you can do, do it. 
Well, no one was willing to stand at his pretrial. That also means no one in Rome. Now, you can't exactly use travel as an excuse. Oh, well, you know, the thieves are bad this time of year, so I, I can't really travel the Ignatian way to get here. I, I can't take the highway. No, no, they're in Rome, and yet all of them seem to have booked calendars when that first trial came. Now, we can, we can understand who's emperor at the time. You remember? Starts with an N, ends with an Eero. Yeah. And what had just happened a couple years earlier was a great, come on, where are my historians? A great fire, right? 64 A.D. And who was blamed? Christians. So from a worldly perspective, there's, there's genuine fear of man. But, but you think someone, the Roman church wasn't exactly small. Someone will show up, and yet no one shows up. And he says, may it not be counted against them. Again, if you're a good Jew, you recognize that. That sounds a whole lot like Psalm 22 again. That sounds a whole lot like what Christ quoted from the cross, doesn't it? Now, the sense here is that not that they were deserters in the same way of Demas, having left the faith, but that they were weak in their faith. They were scared. And yet, through all this pain, and you're starting to feel the, just the, the, the depth of, of Paul's pain in compared to Timothy's, and yet he did not see this as being dealt a bad hand by God, as though God was some sort of cosmic despot that was out to get him. In fact, he saw, he saw it as God's sovereign goodness, his sovereign grace, his sovereign foreordained plan by which he was going to take the gospel somewhere to people who would otherwise not hear it. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Though everyone deserted me, though everyone disappeared, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Watch this. So that, that's a causal phrase there. So that through the proclamation, my, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. I was sovereignly put in this very difficult situation so that I might become desperately dependent upon our Lord so that he might get all the glory in not only strengthening me, but in using me to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles who are bound for hell. That is crazy that Paul can have that kind of perspective. What would you be doing? How would you be feeling? What? I've given my life to ministry, and this is how it ends? I'm deserted? No one cares about me? I've been unjustly tried. I'm going to die. But he sees it so clearly through God's sovereign good eyes. He became desperately dependent upon God. And in his desperate dependence, God would strengthen him, watch this, to say exactly the words he wanted him to say before an audience of Gentiles that needed to hear the gospel. Now imagine Mark showing up a month or two later 
Do you think he might remember Christ's words that he would write in his gospel? When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are about to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. That's Mark 13, 11. Look, ministry is a battle, but it is the Lord who stands by us and strengthens us to do exactly the position he's put us in. It was God's sovereign plan for Paul to go to Rome. And you say, well, you're just speculating, Pastor. I mean, you just know that because, you know, you're so into God's sovereignty, right? Well, yes, but Acts 23 Remember, the risen Lord is speaking to Paul, and he says, On the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. We know he went the first time, and now apparently God wants to use him the second time. But either way, the principle is the same. God wants... For whatever reason, he wants Gentiles in Rome to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we know previously that many in the Praetorian Guard had believed, right? So, Timothy, it was no mistake that I was hung out to dry. It was no oversight that no one came to my defense. God was not sleeping when I stood alone. In fact, he stood there with me and strengthened me and gave me the words to say to a pagan audience. And I know his word will not what? Come on, come on. Will not return void, right? And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Some people believe that's Satan. Some people believe it's danger, imagery from Daniel. Others simply think it means the the jaws of death. Whatever it is, he was sovereignly rescued by God. In fact, verse 18, that wasn't a one-off thing. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. You ever think about this, that... In some cases, God rescues you from the situation. He rescues you from death. And then in other times, he rescues his servants by death. But either way, as Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That if you are a believer, and this is what is so great. I was talking to a fellow not too long ago, and I, and I said, do you know what is, is different about Christianity as compared to all the other world religions? He looked at me like I was crazy. Like, how are you going to cover Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, Judaism? How are you going to cover all this? And I said, one singular difference. All the other world religions is man trying to attain to a higher status, trying to attain to God, trying to work his way where it's the eightfold path of enlightenment or, or the, the pillars or whatever. Christianity is God-reaching man. We are saved by grace through faith. And yes, that faith works. But we are not saved by grace through faith plus works. In fact, our good works are as dirty rags. So 
That salvation that Christ purchased on the cross, he purchased a bride, and he grants the gift of faith and repentance. That gift that he gives is secure, and he who began a good work in you will complete it. Timothy, I've been rescued from death, out of the lion's mouth. But guess what? I'm about to be rescued by death, and he will bring me home safely to his heavenly kingdom. Does that look like the risk at which Christians are living today? I think something's amiss, don't you? Tertullian said it this way on that rescuing of them by death. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God would not be taken by surprise by Paul's death. In fact, his ministry was complete. Timothy, as hard as this is, as lonely as this is, as much of a battle as this is, and Timothy, it is a battle. Do you realize, Timothy, you cannot die a second before your time nor live a second longer? God is in control. Timothy, you preach the word in season and out of season. Christian, you preach the word in season and out of season. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs. The more you are committed to ministry, the more painful it will be. But the better perspective you have, watch this, the more joyful you will become. Because your circumstances don't determine you. Sure, there's going to be times when you get down, but they will not defeat you. They will not determine you. As bad as it is for Timothy, it's nothing compared to how bad it is for Paul. And yet Paul is joyful. Just because he's lonely doesn't mean he's, he's, he's not joyful. Just because he's exhausted doesn't mean he's questioning himself. He trusts the Lord. Now watch our third one. He comes back to this loneliness. Ministry is lonely, but this time he's going to encourage with something different. But God gives us co-laborers, and he is our closest friend. Verse 19. Greek Prisca and Aquila. Prisca, Priscilla, same person, okay? And the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. We have more names here, and they're here for a reason. Let me explain. You're Timothy. You're reading this. You long to go see Paul. You're excited now that you're going to be able to, Lord willing. And you, you could very easily just cast aside these, these salutations, kind of like say, hey, you know, you know uh, tell someone I said hello. You're not really going to do it. Okay? Let's be honest. You're going to forget. You may have the best intentions. Greek, Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah, well, maybe. No, no, no. Watch what he's doing here. Timothy, I hear you saying you're lonely. I hear you saying that everyone's against you. I hear you saying that this is a terrible, terrible pastorate and ministry is, is a battle. Tell Prisca and Aquila I said hello. They sit on the third row to the right side when you preach. Remember, they were the ones that helped me plant the church. They're faithfully there. Week in, week out. They love you. You see what he's doing? 
everyone's cave looks just as dark, right? But sometimes we need to, to focus a little bit more. Because while there are genuine difficulties, while there are challenging battles, there are also faithful co-laborers. Can you imagine if you had Priscilla and Aquila in your congregation? You want to talk about the dynamic duo, okay? These were the first people there in the morning, the last people to leave. They were the ones that had their house open all the time. They knew their Bibles backwards and forwards. They pulled Apollos aside and, and showed him a better way. You want to talk about a stellar, faithful, faithful couple. You want to talk about a, a couple that had endured persecution. They were actually from Rome. And they had been run out of Rome by Claudius when the Jews were expelled. You want to talk about a couple that, that gave their lives to ministry and yet didn't get a paycheck from ministry. He was a tent maker like Paul. Timothy, I know you're lon lonely. I know everyone's against you, but, but look out in the congregation. Who do you see? Prisca and Aquila. And don't forget about Erastus. You, you remember Erastus. Erastus was a pagan. Became a believer. Scripture seems to indicate that this was Corinth's uh, city treasure. In fact, archaeologists have uncovered an inscription that says, Erastus, commissioner of public works, bore the expense of this pavement. Don't forget about this guy. He's on the field with you, boots on the ground. And you know what he's been through. The Corinthians aren't exactly easy people to deal with. The church at Corinth isn't exactly a model congregation either. Right, Timothy? You see what he's doing? He continues. And then there's Trophimus. Trophimus is an Ephesian. He's from Ephesus. You know how he's been faithful for years and years and years. Timothy, you're not the only one left. Certainly ministry is lonely. I understand how you feel. But let me bring you perspective. There are many more co-laborers than you realize. Does this sound a little bit reminiscent of was it Elijah? Who thought he was the only one? Right? I'm it, Lord. There is no one else. I am the last faithful. I, no, you're not. Now watch this. To me, this is the most encouraging. Verse 21. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, and also Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. Who didn't show up at his first trial? What kind of names are these? Latin. Roman names. The Roman church who didn't even show up at my trial, who was weak in their faith, guess what? They have matured and become the most faithful. Linus and Pudens. These, these are faithful brothers, sisters in Christ who were nowhere to be found when I needed them. But you know what? 
God has restored the years the locusts have eaten, and they have now become faithful. They've matured in their faith, and I bear no grudge. And people grow, Timothy. Hang in there. Jonathan Lehman, who's written many of the Nine Marks books, I met with him several years ago about a situation, and I said, what do you, what do you think I should do here? And, and of course, you know, you're always looking for the easy way out. What should I do here? And he looked at me and gave me the oddest response. He goes, why don't you see what the Lord does over the next decade? He goes, why don't you preach and pray and love and stay? Why don't you just keep doing what you've been called to do and watch the Lord change hearts? And watch Linus, who wouldn't pick up his phone calls to come to the pre-trial, now is by your side every day. By the way, two of our early church fathers tell us that Linus went on to be pastor of the church in Rome. Can I get an amen? Okay. Is God finished with his people? Is God finished with us? No. Is God patient with us? Yes. Timothy, be patient. Hang in there. But, but here's where it all comes together. God not only gives us co-laborers, those you know about. God not only gives us the maturing the weak who become our, our, our staunchest allies. But our Lord Jesus is our greatest friend. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. In John 15, Christ writes, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Timothy, ministry is lonely. And God does give us co-laborers, but even if he didn't, what a friend we have in Jesus. If we're to spend the next 40, 50 years of our life serving him, and he is our only friend, the God of the universe is our only friend, is that not enough? I want that to ring in my ears. Hebrews tells us that the Redeemer is also the Creator. If the one who spoke the worlds into existence is a friend to you, what more could we ask for? If all forsake us, He remains faithful. He will never leave us. Well, Paul was probably executed that next winter. We don't know if Timothy made it. I hope he did. And tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded, as would have been the privilege of a Roman citizen on the Ostian Way, just outside of Rome. And the Lord brought him safely to his heavenly kingdom. And yet Timothy was not left alone. And no doubt, as he poured over this intensely personal letter over and over again, he, he saw more and more what we are seeing today. Yes, ministry is lonely, and it is a battle. 
But we can press on and be a friend to others knowing that we have the greatest of all friends in Jesus. And I pray that that will be the timeless encouragement that will see you through any ministry difficulty. And there will be. But what a friend.